Welcome to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons, a podcast which examines tenets of the Christian faith in a systematic way. Dr. Ammons serves as a local church pastor and professor of theology in the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels, bringing years of experience into the theological arena. Now, here's Dr. Ammons. It was one of those moments I would love to have been there. Can you just imagine? Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He'd walked the earth for 40 days and his disciples had seen him and they'd been with him. And now on the 40th day, he led them out to the Mount of Olives there in Bethany. And right before their very eyes, ascended back to heaven. I mean, just began to levitate. His body just started to move before their very eyes into the sky, upward and upward and upward until finally a cloud envelops him and just takes him on up into the heavens and to finally heaven itself. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101. And in this 500 series, we've been looking at the resurrected Christ. And in this episode, I want us to look specifically at the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Jesus' ascension into heaven on the 40th day. Now, a couple of aspects we'll talk about in this episode. I want to talk first about the fact that Jesus ascended to a particular place. Heaven is a real place, not a state of mind. It is a real physical location. And then I want to close by talking about what Jesus' ascension means for our lives today, the significance of living on this side of the ascension. First of all, let's talk about Christ ascending to a place. After Jesus' resurrection, he was on the earth for 40 days, according to Acts 1-3. And then he led his disciples out to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And the Bible said that he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, according to Luke 24, 50 and 51. Now, a similar account is given by Luke in the opening section of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Listen to these verses. Quote, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. End quote. Now all of these narratives, the Acts 1-3, the Acts 1-9-11, and the Luke 24-50 and 51, all of these describe an event that is clearly designed to show that the disciples show to the disciples that Jesus went to a real particular place. He didn't suddenly disappear from them, never to be seen by them again. He gradually ascended as they were watching. And then a cloud, apparently the cloud of God's glory, took him from their sight. 
But the angels immediately said that he would come back in the same way in which he had gone into heaven. So the fact that Jesus had a resurrection body that was subject to spatial limitations, it could only be in one place at one time, means that Jesus went somewhere when he ascended into heaven. He took that body somewhere with him. He didn't just vanish or disappear. He took that body with him to a place. Now, you know, it's really surprising to me that, that some evangelical theologians hesitate to affirm that heaven is a place or that Jesus ascended to a definite location somewhere in the space-time universe. Sometimes theologians are rather hesitant to say that, but I don't know why. The Bible is very clear. Jesus went to a place, and if you remember in John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples as they were preparing for his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, he told them, I go to prepare a place for you. The Greek word's topos, a real physical location. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, admittedly, we cannot see where Jesus is right now, but that's not because he's passed into some ethereal state of being it's, that has no location at all in the space-time universe, but rather it's because our eyes are unable to see the unseen spiritual world that exists all around us. There are angels all around us, but we can't see them. Our eyes do not have the capacity to see them. In fact, Scripture talks about that. If you remember, Elisha was surrounded by an army of angels and chariots of fire protecting him from the Syrians at Dothan. But Elisha's servants, the, Elisha's servant was not able to see those angels until God opened his eyes so that he could see them. In fact, 2 Kings 6.17 says that, God opened his eyes so that he could see things in the spiritual realm that existed around him. In the very same way, Stephen, whenever he was dying, in Acts 7, verses 55 and 56, Stephen was dying and God gave him a special ability to see the world that is hidden from our eyes. It says in those verses, For he, quote, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, end quote. And Jesus himself said, John 14 passage I was talking about, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So folks, if, if heaven is not a place, how did Jesus go to a place, prepare a place, and say that he's going to come back and get me and take me to a place that doesn't even exist. That's ludicrous. Now, of course, we cannot say exactly where heaven is. Scripture sometimes pictures people as ascending up into heaven, as Jesus did, as Elijah did. Or sometimes the Bible portrays people coming down from heaven, as the angels did in Jacob's dream in Genesis 28. 
So we're justified in thinking of heaven as somewhere above us, above the earth. Now, admittedly, the earth is round and it rotates, so where heaven is, we're simply unable to say more precisely, but Scripture it doesn't tell us where. It does talk about heaven being above us and being a place. And the repeated emphasis on the fact that Jesus went somewhere as did Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11, and the fact that the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God in Revelation 21.2, all of this indicates there is clearly a localization of heaven in the space-time universe. Now, those who don't believe the Bible may scoff at such an idea and wonder how it can be so, just as the first Russian cosmonaut maybe heard that story went up into space, came back and said, I declare to you God does not exist and heaven does not exist because I was up there and I didn't see either one of them. But that simply points to the blindness again of our eyes toward the unseen spiritual world the Bible talks about. It does not indicate that heaven does not exist in a certain place. In fact, the ascension of Jesus into heaven is designed to teach us that heaven does exist as a place in the space-time universe. Jesus ascended to a place. Now, another aspect I want to mention just briefly in passing before we get to the significance of the ascension in our lives today. Whenever Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he received glory. He received glory and honor and authority that had never been his before as one who was both God and man. And the Bible talks about that. John 17, 5, before Jesus died, he prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In, in the same way, in his sermon at Pentecost, Peter said that Jesus was, quote, exalted at the right hand of God, Acts 2, 33. And Paul declared, Philippians 2, 9, God has highly exalted Jesus. And 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, Jesus was taken up into glory. So Christ is now in heaven with the angels, choirs are singing praises to Him with the words, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing that's in Revelation 5:12. So Jesus ascended into heaven, a real place. He received glory and honor and authority which had never been his before as the God man, but now in heaven as both 100% God and 100% man receives glory and is worshiped in heaven as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I mentioned this in a Bible study recently here at First Baptist Church of Garland. We were going through Revelation. And it talks about the Son being worshipped as God in heaven. And you know, there are denominations and there are belief systems today who say that Jesus, uh, He is not God. He, he's, he's the Son of God, but He's not divine. He's not God in Himself. But if Revelation talks about Him being worshipped as God in heaven, that means that if he's not God, then idolatry is taking place in heaven. 
And we know that can't be. Because if Jesus is just a man, as some say that he was, and, and he's being worshipped as God in heaven, that's idolatrous. So even the fact that Jesus is worshipped as God in heaven in Revelation points to the fact of his divinity, his deity. Christ is God and has all honor and glory and majesty and blessing in heaven. Now, let's talk about what does the ascension mean for us today? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I trusted Him at the age of nine years old at, at my home church in, in Oklahoma. Been a believer since I was nine. What does the ascension of Jesus mean to me in my life? Well, as I look at Scripture, I believe there are three significant implications for me as a believer, for you as a believer, the fact that Jesus resurrected. First, number one, since we are united with Christ in every aspect of His work of redemption, that means that Jesus' ascension into heaven foreshadows our future ascension into heaven with Him. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, so I will ascend into heaven one day whenever I die as a believer in Jesus. Jesus' ascension into heaven foreshadows this. In fact, 1 Thessalonians talks about it. Chapter 4, verse 17. It says, We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The author of Hebrews wants us to run the race of life with the knowledge that we're following Jesus' steps and will eventually arrive at the blessings of life in heaven that Jesus is now enjoying. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Quote, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then John 14, 3, Jesus himself said one day that he will take us to be with him. So the first doctrinal significance of Jesus' ascension is that as a believer, I too will ascend to heaven one day. But here's the second implication. Jesus' ascension gives us assurance that our final home will be in heaven with Him. Our final home will be with Christ. There's that John 14, 2 passage again, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was a man like us in every way, yet without sin. And He's gone before us so that eventually we might follow Him there and live with Him forever. The fact that Jesus has already ascended into heaven and achieved the goal set before Him gives me great assurance 
that one day I will eventually be there with him as well. And friend, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ, I'm not talking about just walking an aisle. I'm not talking about just being baptized or going to church or trying to be good. I'm talking about a true transformation of your life that happened whenever you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ. If you've done that, you will have a home in heaven. Your final home is going to be in heaven with Him. Praise God. That's the second significance of the ascension. But here's the third one. The third significance of, of Jesus' ascension into heaven means that we are able to share now, in part, in Christ's authority over the universe and will later share in it more fully. Let me talk about this. The Apostle Paul, Paul points to this fact whenever he says in Ephesians 2.6 that God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, we're not physically present in heaven right now. We, we know that. We remain here on earth at the present time. But if Christ's session at God's right hand refers to His reception of authority, then the fact that God has made us to sit with Christ means that we share in some way in the authority Christ has. Authority to, to contend against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says that in Ephesians 6, 12. And then again, uh, actually the entire passage of 10 through 18 of, of Ephesians 6. And to do battle with weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 4. So this sharing in Christ's authority over the universe will be made more fully our possession in the age to come. That's why scripture talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? What does that look like? I mean, how, how will I be judging angels? Well, I have the authority of Christ. I have it in part now. I have it in, in full later because as a believer in Jesus, he has given me the authority, God has given me the authority of Christ because of his ascension. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 8. We'll share in Christ's authority over the creation that God has made. That's what that passage talks about. Jesus promises, the one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my father Revelation 2 26 to 27 so Christ has been given authority over creation and according to scripture as a believer you and I we will be given authority the Christ authority over creation as well Revelation 3 21 Jesus promises the Lord who conquers, or rather the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
wow, have you ever thought about the fact that because Jesus ascended to heaven that one day you get to sit on the throne with Christ? What a magnificent thought. These are amazing promises of our future, sharing in Christ, sitting at the right hand of God. Promises that we don't fully understand now, but we will understand and fully experience in the age to come. Now, let me mention just a, a couple of, of points about some theological terms that you may hear and may read and come across about the, uh, the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And since we're talking about in this 500 series about these, in talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, theologians sometimes talk about the, quote, states of Jesus Christ, end quote, S-T-A-T-E-S, the states of Christ. And by this, they mean the different relationships Jesus had to God's law for mankind, to the position of authority, and to receiving honor. And so generally, the two states of Christ are His humiliation and His exaltation. Philippians 2, the kenosis passage, verses 5 through 11, talks about both states. That his, he was, his humiliation, he was, came down and he humbled himself to the point of being obedient. And then God therefore has exalted him. And so these are the two states of Christ and how they are distinguished. His humiliation and his, his uh, exaltation. So the twofold state of Christ is the teaching that Christ first experienced humiliation as a man coming down from heaven and then the state of exaltation after he completed the work of our salvation on the cross, his death, burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension completed the, the, the final state of his exaltation. So, just wanted to mention that. You may, in your readings, come across the states of Christ uh, concerning the resurrection and the ascension, and that's what, that's what it's talking about. Theologians talk about the two states of Christ being his exaltation, or rather his, his humiliation, and then his exaltation. Now in that exaltation of Christ, there are four aspects, of course, resurrection, ascension into heaven, his session at the right hand of the Father, and one day his return in glory and power. We look forward to that day. Well, thank you for joining me today in Truth 101. Join us next time in our next episode as we look at more doctrines of the Christian faith. God bless you. See you next time. You have been listening to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons. We hope you have enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on recent sermons by Dr. Ammons, go to www.fbcgarland.org and join us next time for Truth 101.